to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. my warriors. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show. I have the great fortune to be with Chris Didier today. He lives in California in Roseville. Is that correct? (laughs) And we are going to talk about his wonderful son, Zach, who was only 17 when he died of fentanyl poisoning. It's been a long road for him. Zach died in 2020, December 27th. And I'd like to hear his story. I want you to hear his story. And we will also discuss at the end what advocacy work he's been involved with, which has been extremely effective. He's a member of the board of Stop the Void, and that's stopthevoid.org. And if you go on that that channel, uh, that website, you will see a wonderful video, or should say it's a small movie It's about 20 minutes long, and it's called Dead on Arrival, and it is an excellent way for you to start to learn what fentanyl poisoning has done to our youth and has done to all the people in our country who are being affected, the families, their relatives that are being affected by this horrific opioid, illicit opioid drug. So thank you, Chris, for being here with me today. And it's been such a joy just to chat with you before <laughs> this. And please do tell us more about Chris's growing up years and your family's growing up years. And might I say, um, he has a sister, Allie, and a brother, Sam, who also is grieving his death. So thank you. Thank you, Mary Mack. It's an um, an awesome opportunity to uh, connect with you and to share our, our experiences, to share Zach's story and, and everything we've learned since then. So I'm thankful for that. You're quite welcome. I'm glad that you're with me today. Yeah, great to be here. Um, I wanted to start this podcast last summer. Um, it's called Death by Fentanyl because years ago when Angela was murdered, it was a great, um, it was a great awakening as to how the criminal justice system worked after she was murdered and what could be done, what couldn't be done, changing laws in New York, it was a struggle. And so knowing that I wanted to open up this platform for those who have experienced this, who are doing advocacy work, Um, to get the word out all around the country because obviously the politicians are not doing enough to stop this from coming across our borders. So thank you. I agree. agree. Yeah, it's true. And it just takes so much time to um, educate the public and to help other families know what happens after such a horrific death. 
And so, but let's back up a little bit and talk about Chris's early years, your family's early years, how sure. it all came together. Well, uh, I started uh, out in Denver, Colorado. I have a, a, a rather large family out there. I lived with my mom and my older sister, uh, Lisa, who's handicapped. Uh, but around fifth grade, uh, my mom, my sister, and I moved to Sacramento because that's where my dad was uh, so that my sister and I could have the help of a father figure, which I believe Lisa and I greatly benefited from. Uh, after I graduated high school uh, out of Sacramento, I went to college and basically uh, got my commission in the Air Force and served a 22-year active duty career. And, uh, and uh, around uh, about a year and a half to two years after I got my commission, I uh, got engaged, got married. Uh, my first assignment after pilot training was in, in Germany. And it was qu quite neat. I was uh, pretty new to the Air Force as an officer, uh, new to an airplane, uh, newly wed and new uh, uh, into Europe. So it was an adventure. Our firstborn uh, is Allie. <laughs> She's uh, the one that was born in Germany. And she loves to brag about <laughs> being the one uh, child who, who was born abroad and got to see all of Europe, even though she was only less than two years old uh, <laughs> at the time. Uh, but after that, uh, we, we all moved back to uh, the States. And I got assigned a, a, an assignment in North Carolina where... Uh, eventually, Sam and Zach were both born there, so they're North Carolinians. Uh, and basically, I uh, got through an entire career moving around a little bit and uh, had an adventurous career. But eventually, I retired, and uh, Zach's mother, Laura, and I made the decision to move back to the Sacramento area. Uh, we're both from here. We both have a lot of family here, and we felt it was important to to basically just put a stake in the ground as as where we are from and uh, a, a, an opportunity for our children to really get to know their grandparents their aunts or uncles or cousins because once as we as we all understand when a high school kid graduates high school it's their life and they can join the service they can go to college somewhere else or move anywhere else and, and i really thought that it would be nice for the rest of their life to know that they could call Sacramento home and 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 have a good connection with their their extended family and that worked out really really well uh and I, I think everything was prosper uh, was doing you know going very well for everyone everyone was prospering with that uh my follow-on military career was taking flight I I uh was doing well with with getting into an airline that I'm really comfortable with. I really enjoy it. It's kind of panned out the way I was hoping it would. A uh, couple unexpected turns was um, the death of my father uh, 11 years ago today uh, from uh, a cancer that was detected late in the stage. And then um, a decision that Laura made to take a different path and ask for a divorce. Uh, those were tough, tough setbacks, uh, but uh, life has that, and uh, we we have to figure, well, what do we do about this? How do we um, move on and move forward in a healthy way? 
And for about four and a half, five years, we had a pretty decent normalcy with uh, the structure of how things were going. Uh, I was living with the kids at our home and uh, Laura would occasionally visit and spend quality time with the kids and um, would also stay the night when I was away for work trips and other events. Uh, and everyone seemed to be doing well. Everyone was in a healthy place. Uh, all of the kids were, were excelling uh, academically and, and with their social connections and trying to figure out where they're going. Uh, and uh, that's, that's kind of tough in a modern world for a young uh, adolescent person to figure, well, what's their identity? What, what do they want to do? Who do they want to be? especially in a modern world where there's a lot of distractions, a lot of temptations, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, doubt of, well, are you really going to be good enough or is that really who you want to be? And so I was, I was pretty happy with that uh, on, on the direction our kids were taking. Zach, uh, out of Sam and Allie, uh, Zach was the one who seemed to really master things very, very quickly. Uh, and that says a lot because Sam and Ali are incredibly intelligent and they're gifted. They have an enormous heart, all three of them. And uh, they have a, a, a pretty strong ability to retain information and to pick up things quickly and have a great wit about them. Uh, but Zach was pretty fast as far as learning, and he loved to be the leader of any group and loved to show, uh, he, here's how I can excel. And then I think another attribute was to, to share his talents so that others can uh, be the, you know, to help others so they can be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Um, of I course, happen, COVID- I happen to. I happened to see him playing the piano on your Facebook page. And yeah. I thought that was amazing. He, you could tell he just enjoyed doing that. And he loved listening for his dog's response. <laughs> I love that because we had a dog, Joshua. And when you would play or sing, he would sing with you. <laughs> that video uh, is a very special uh a very special video of ours. Uh, we didn't know he made that. I believe it was on his that. phone. Yes, we think he made that around a month, maybe a month and a half before, because uh, I had just purchased that shirt he's wearing, and uh, the Christmas decorations hadn't gone up yet. Um, so it was probably right after Thanksgiving, and. And uh, Laura found it on his phone about, I want to say, a, a few days after he died. Uh, and we really feel that, that that video encapsulates so much about who Zach is because uh, of, of his talents. He never took uh, a piano lesson and he learned wow. to play actually four different instruments on his own. Um, and, and his creativeness, it shows that at putting our dog on a, on the chair behind him and knowing what he was going to do and uh and that infectious smile at the end it's 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 a a a, a video that absolutely is treasured by our family and uh it's something that it, we hold very warm in our hearts great i will try to put that up in the blog um, there's always a corresponding blog when we do an interview. 
um, or when I speak uh, to you and I teach you. So go there and hopefully we can bring that over for all of you to see that lovely video. It just warmed in my heart. Same. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So I cut you off, unfortunately. You were telling more of the story of his growing up time. Well, um, so going back a little bit, Zach uh, obviously was born in North Carolina. We had an assignment in California, and then we went back to North Carolina, and then I retired. So he has a little bit of North Carolina East Coast and uh, West Coast time when we were stationed in the Monterey, Carmel area. And then after retirement, he, he grew up in Rockland, California. Uh, it was around third grade when we moved and he didn't know any friends, but boy, it didn't take him long to make friends. <laughs> he met a young man. It was his first day of school as well as a third grader uh, new to the school, so they bonded quickly. Uh, but Zach made good batch of friends, and uh, it was pretty obvious. I I did all of the overnight field trips with Zach uh, since I think the first one was in fifth grade, um, and I also coached his soccer team uh, that he played on for six years. And all of the groups he was involved in, uh, scouting, uh, track. Uh, soccer, his theater program, uh, all of those, he, he really had quality bonds from what I can see. And he really tried to help his friends out any way he can, whether it's academically or athletically. And and I really felt when we were living in a really nice neighborhood, there was very low crime. It's more of a homogenous part of town and newer malls, newer restaurants and stores. Um, and, and it's it just felt comfortable. It, it felt like this is a good place. Lots of great families that surrounded our home in our neighborhood uh, that are really good people and good kids. So it, it was a really nice uh, a, a area for us to be in and for a young kid to grow up in. That's great. And did he go to high school in California then? Yes. So when he was, uh, when we finally made our move to Rockland, he was in third grade, uh, finished elementary at his school, then did middle school, uh, the ne next thing, and then uh, went to uh, Whitney High School in Rockland, which is just maybe five or six blocks away. So all his schools were not far from where we were living. Um, and uh, what I was leading into before was uh, the challenging part started when COVID uh, hit us. And as you understand, a lot of restrictions happened and students had to uh, go to school on a laptop in, the, in their bedroom and not engage in social interaction at, uh, on a school campus. Um, and and uh, I, I think everybody struggled with that, whether you're a student or a mom or dad or grandparent, uh, these these forced times of isolation or sep being separated were, were challenging across the entire spectrum. But I, I really felt that the kids did really well with that. And I think that they just, you know, okay, these are the restrictions. Well, we respect the restrictions and just continue to do our thing. Just be uh, adaptable. But, just be adaptable. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So that kind of carries us all the way to when Zach died. Uh, I, I felt like being a military family has its challenges, but it also creates friendships and bonds that last forever. And although Zach was pretty young when we moved, we made our retirement uh, decision to move back to Sacramento. Our older two uh, still communicate with some of their, their lifelong friends uh, that live in North Carolina. And I, I think that's a really good testament that there is value when you do have to, you know, create a new safe space with new friends and a new school. And if you meet good people and they help you become even a better person, uh, there's a lot of value with that. So I, I felt like I felt like Zach's exposure of a military family life and then exposure in a stable, safe environment of where we were living. Uh, uh, I, I think I think Zach had a, a really good, uh, a good environment. And uh, when the three of them were working from doing schoolwork at home, how did that all come together? Did they excel? They did okay? They adapted well? Yeah, actually, uh, so our middle kid had moved to uh, Sac State, uh, moved into the dorms right after high school, and then transferred to UC Davis. Uh, and was living in dorms there. And our oldest was uh, finishing her associate's degree at uh, Sierra College. And since that's only a few miles away, she remained living in the house uh, with me and Zach. So when COVID hit, uh, well, pretty much it, there was no in-class instruction anywhere, including colleges. So mm, the middle kid, Sam, came back home. Yeah. So we're kind of a big family again with three children. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, my food bill went out the window again. <laughs> it was great. It was nice. And so there's a lot of cool games that we play uh, that they invented. Uh, and when they're together, when they're all three together, it, it's a unique uh, bond that you see that, you know, it's it's really unique when it's just two of them. Uh, in any different pairing, but when all three are there, it's 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 a very very cool thing because they play pod games, they play uh, silent ninja games. That these are games that they invented. That these aren't like sanctioned games. Um, that I don't know. It's just the way they um, how they interact and they have fun together. It's really neat, and I just was grateful to be able to observe that throughout COVID. So they they made COVID fun when they could and how they could and they all excelled uh particularly with zach since we're talking about zach uh he is a straight a student a true bona fide straight a student he got a's in every class he was enrolled in just about every ap class he was allowed to enroll in and aced those classes wow. i didn't know because i didn't i didn't understand what an ap class was because we didn't have that when i was in high school yes and, but at the end of the year, they have the AP end of year exam, and he got fives on most of those on a scale of zero to five. Most students get threes, and those who really excel get four, and it's rare to see a five. And I think Zach was one of the first kids to get a five, and he became pretty popular as the guy who can get fives on AP exams that are really, really difficult to get. And again, I'm, I'm not an expert on that. And this is something I learned only through um, Zach's journey. Uh, 
halfway through high school, at the beginning of his junior year, he scored a 1550 on the SAT out of 1600. And I think that's like three or four missed questions, wow. um, which is incredibly high achieving academic, uh, uh, you know, academian. So he, it was very apparent. He's very cerebral. He has the ability to retain information quickly uh, or very well and, and, and understand things quickly. And and just was extremely successful academically. So uh, COVID has its challenges, but he continued to excel and did very well. Amazing. And would you say that um, there was a time where that kind of altered before his uh, fentanyl um, crisis? Or was this a one just happened? Just happened. Wow. This is what's kind of scary uh, because we really had no signs. Um, <laughs> to finish Zach's background, uh, he was enormously successful academically, but he was also a respected multi-sport athlete. He was one of the fastest soccer players on our team. Wow. my heart with pride as the coach and as a father to see him outrun the attackers on the other team, steal the ball and outpace them with a smile on his face. Uh, he was a key enabler on the team. When he uh, ran track, his favorite sport was hurdling. And uh, the story of Zach, his sophomore year on track, is akin to the story that Laura Hildebrand um, featured in her book called Unbroken, Louis Zamperini's story where every track meet, Zach bested his own time from the previous meet. Uh, they call that a personal record. And about halfway through the season, people were taking notice and elevated him from JV to the varsity team. And by the end of the season, was the only student in his school to make it to the San Joaquin CIF sectionals and participate in the men's uh, 110 high hurdle event. Wow. He really um, just did so well with that and again he got another personal record on that on that track meet that event so he was really making a name for himself in fact it earned him the coach's award for for hurdling or for track uh for the sprinting section which is something that's usually a coveted award given to a, a senior about to graduate or a junior it's, it's not often that a sophomore would get that so it's a testament he was very skilled athletically he already demonstrated his his abilities academically. Uh, in community service, he was uh, he he loved to to contribute and and help his community. He was very active in scouting, uh, working on his eagle project to earn the rank of eagle because he was that was his next step. Uh, it was his last step, and tragically, he died before he was able to finish it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he learned to play four musical instruments brilliantly. He was so, so good, at, especially at the piano. His junior year, he did something a little uh, out of the ordinary in a way. Uh, I kind of got out of his comfort zone and auditioned for his school's musical production uh, and, and actually landed the lead role. Uh, this musical is called High School Musical. 
And yes, so, I've heard of it. Yeah, like the movie uh, that Zac Efron played in. Uh, Zac, the same uh, role of Barry Bolton, the lead. And uh, he had never um, uh, done that. He, it was his first musical, and he actually got the lead. And there's so many side stories of, of the scouting thing, of the track and field thing, of the play thing. There's just so many amazing magic moments associated with them that, that I will always treasure. Uh, of all of these attributes and these amazing achievements, this is a high-caliber young man. I think the best attributes was his propensity to help others. Because I've seen it repeatedly after soccer practice, he would do speed work with his uh, track buddies to try to help them with their, their skills. He would want to help people with their projects or their exams. There's a story of freshman uh, when he was a senior, uh, was new to campus at Whitney and was kind of petrified and, and you know, intimidated being a, a a first day on campus on a big school of 2,000 students. Wow. And Zach noticed she was lost and he walked up and total stranger and asked, hey, do you need help? And helped her understand the campus map and escorted her first class. And uh, they ran into each other throughout the, the semester and he just would smile and say, are you okay? And everything okay? And, and it's just so many amazing stories of how this young lad just was successful, helpful, loved to help others. Uh, after the, uh, I believe it was the uh, fires in Paradise, California, um, he, uh, he and I went up uh, on behalf of his scout troop to uh, Chico area next to Paradise to help uh, distribute um, uh, donations for those who were in need. And we spent the full day doing that. And when we were driving home, Zach said, I really like doing that. I want to help people. I, I, I think that's my calling. I just, I, I need more of that. And I said, buddy, there's so much you can do to make a difference in the world. And I look at those attributes as the best ones of Zach. He sounds like such an exceptional young man. I mean, from all of his sports that he did and his helping others, his philanthropy of his own right, right? And all of his talents and the, the ability to do exceptionally well in school the way he did. I mean, he was a high, high achiever. Yeah. And what an Before amazing man. This is uh, Zach. And uh, this was his senior portrait um, he took about two months before he died, mm -hmm. as well as the picture behind me um, that I have on my wall uh, that I like to have when I do my advocacy events. Uh, Zach is, as we were talking about, uh, a kid who is a high achiever. The idea of any kind of drug-related death never would have crossed my mind. Um, I did not have any experience with him uh, doing, experimenting with any recreational drugs. I wouldn't be surprised if he had experimented. Uh, I had learned from his soccer team about two to three months after he died when we were trying to understand you know, their environment and how they dealt with COVID together. 
that uh, the group did experiment with marijuana, I believe in, in the form of uh, edibles that an older sibling picked up at a dispensary. They wanted to do this together just to be safe. Uh, they tried vaping. Uh, they tried alcohol. Um, most of that was during COVID, his last year, maybe his junior year and his senior year. And, and I've learned that he had done some recreational use uh, of products, but it was more like, what's this all about? What's that all about? Uh, Zach's mother and I had every known conversation uh, that we could with him about vaping, about edibles, about what most people still today consider the hard drives like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, ecstasy, and, or MDMA. And, and he always talked very intelligently about, well, that's not safe to go down those paths because here's what it can do to a growing mind like mine. So he learned to speak what we want to hear. And I would ask him, who on your soccer team or in your track team or in your cast are you worried about? Are, are you seeing people getting involved? He said, oh, everybody that's, everybody is involved with something or another. And it's tricky. Everyone at least tries this or tries that. That's just, that's just what's normal. Uh, I don't know if I know anyone who hasn't tried anything. Uh, yeah. And again, this was all before we ever heard the word fake pill. Uh, and fentanyl really wasn't in our vernacular because it wasn't really something that had become uh, well known uh, back in during the COVID uh, days. Uh, it really wasn't a threat on our radar that we, we really knew uh, anything about or, or to, to, to bring into our conversations. Mm -hmm. and, and most of our conversations, well, if someone starts smoking marijuana, uh, that can stunt your brain development and that could probably lead to um, poor grades and maybe going down that slippery slope. And, and Zach was always like, yeah, I, I don't want to be that. And I never found any products in his bedroom or in our home, uh, like uh, marijuana or, or edibles. Uh, I used to check his phone fairly regularly. I did the uh, uh, Life 365 tracking when he first got his phone in middle school. I think it was eighth grade. But, and I never saw anything that looked wrong or weird or nefarious. And as you know, by around his sophomore year, his junior year, I felt like, okay, this is a, a mature, successful, responsible young adult. I kind of found it weird to be, you know, peeking in. And uh, I, I also randomly checked his room um, uh, and never found anything uh, that was hidden or anything like that. So leading up to his death, there really wasn't any clear evidence hey, we need to watch this kid because I caught him with something or I've learned about something or he came home totally stoned or drunk or, or anything like that. We just didn't have those kinds of experiences up until just before he died. And uh, it was just a casualty that was kind of like a Mack truck came out of, out of nowhere and hit us going 100 miles an hour. We just didn't really see it coming. In the few days beforehand, I mean, that's not going to give you very much time to even do anything. Right.
Um, so about three weeks before he died, he had uh, a, a, uh, a deadline to finish his UC uh, applications, including his essays. He was stressed about that. And it is my guess he might have tried to experiment with something to calm him down with marijuana, but I don't know. Um, there's no evidence that shows that he did that, but that's probably like, okay, he's starting to feel stressful. And it's probably not really like, am I going to get in college? Because with his high caliber resume, uh, academically, athletically, community service, I, I really felt it wasn't a problem of can I get into college? I think it was really more of the worry, which is natural of, well, what's my next chapter going to be like? Once I graduate high school, my life's going to change. And I'm not going to be the popular kid on campus anymore. I'm going to be the brand new freshman that no one knows. And um, he had a very strong and healthy relationship with his uh, girlfriend. And I think he she was younger than him. So she was still going to stay in uh, in high school while he moved somewhere to go to college. And I'm sure there's some anxiety that was mounting as far as, well, how do I manage that relationship? Because he really cared and loved for her. What's his relationship with his friends going to be like? When when he and his soccer buddies all graduate, everyone goes in different directions. So I think it's natural to, to see that, hey, it's a milestone in my life. I'm graduating high school and a whole new unknown chapter is about to come, you know, to come around. I, I can see anybody wanting to, maybe I can take a beer or a vape or uh, an edible to kind of calm my nerves. Uh, again, I didn't see any evidence of that, uh, certainly not in my home. Uh, and it wasn't something that was readily apparent, uh, you know, in the weeks prior to Zach's passing. It's all presumption that might have, might have been when he was starting to experiment. Would you go into the day that he died and what surrounded that, sure. how you handled that? Well, um, this is always the hard part of our conversation, but very important. I really try to bring out the details when I can, especially at parent info nights, to show that uh, fentanyl, it doesn't matter uh, your socioeconomic status or your wealth or you're barely getting along if you're really smart or barely passing classes uh, fentanyl will not discriminate and all of these tragedies all of them are tragic whether it, it, you have a young adult who's struggling with depression or anxiety or struggling with substance use that's recreational use or someone who has no experience and it's truly their first time all of them are tragic and and it's a crisis that's absolutely wildly out of control. With Zach's story, as, as we were talking about before, COVID lockdown restrictions affected a lot of things. At the end of his junior year, uh, track season was canceled right after it was started. A few days before he was supposed to take his DMV behind the wheel driving test, that was canceled. And uh, it took over five months before it was able to be rescheduled. Uh, junior prom canceled, summer vacation plans canceled, uh, homecoming canceled his fall semester of his senior year. Uh, that semester of his senior year, we I 
really took a lot of effort to get soccer practice started. So at least the boys can be on the field to have an outlet, which they relished. But all our soccer games were canceled. Our malls were closed. Our movie theaters were closed. Kids were behind a laptop computer trying to, you know, get to school. <clears throat> it was challenging. But in December of 2020, our local mall opened up finally. And it's one of the largest malls in Northern California. It's the largest mall in the greater Sacramento Metroplex. And uh, I remember when the news came out that Galleria Mall was starting to open up, Zach got really excited. And he was saying, uh, and I never really thought of Zach as a mall kind of kid, <laughs> but when all his friends are going to be there, uh, he absolutely became uh, uh, a fan of hanging out at the mall. And he actually talked to me about how he can tell when his friends were leaving for the mall uh, by just looking at a map on on a on an on an app which was Snapchat. And I didn't know about that capability at the time, and so uh, he would look at his phone and says, "Okay, Dad, I'm going to head out to the mall now because you know Nick is going there, uh, Rayon is going there." Uh, uh, it, Blake or Sam is heading out there. So I'm going to meet up with them. So, um, in, you know, in the days prior to, to Zach's dying, he was hanging out at the mall and just wanted to be with his friends. And he shared that why he really liked that is so that he even commented, you know, we're, we're going to graduate soon and our, you know, time together is limited. So I just want, we just want to live our lives like seniors, like we anticipated we'd be able to be able to do when when we first started this thing as high school, and we finally are able to be together. But what Zach and his friends, and certainly I did not anticipate, was that there were people also at the mall for the purpose of sell products that have the potential to be deadly. And we didn't understand that. And that's basically what happened. Zach was at a mall uh, with his friends, and they connected to a person through Snapchat. From what I understand, this person, who's also young, I think he was 21 at the time, uh, geotagged a message, which comes across as a notification for all those on Snapchat within a certain geographical range of the person sending that message. So you can zoom in on your map to the Galleria Mall, and all the Snapchat users in that 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 zoomed-in area will see your notification, and um, that's what happened. He sent out a message. Then he later came up to Zach and a friend and offered them pretty much everything under the sun. Uh, he had pretty much had all the products that uh, that is available. Uh, uh, with him and that he can provide it, that his products were legit, they were safe, uh, it's discreet. Um, they talked about uh, your vapes or edibles. They talked about what Zach and his friend thought were the hard stuff like heroin and cocaine. Um, and they were like, no, we're not <laughs> wanting that. And the conversation took place about, well, maybe uh, you can take something like a Percocet uh, to help you with pain. Uh, whether they decided to take it because they thought it was a safe high, or maybe it would be something that would help them um, manage pain during their workout, because that was part of their conversation is, hey, you guys look fit. 
Do you know that uh, the medicine dentists give to their patients helps with pain? Uh, as you know, Percocet is a legitimate prescription given for mild to moderate pain that dentists give out. Yeah. Uh, but in the mind of a 16 or 17-year-old, if I work out and have this Percocet, I don't feel the pain. Therefore, I get a bigger workout and therefore get bigger muscles. And I could see how a young kid, a young boy who wants to get bigger muscles who have, you know, a uh, uh, desire to be athletically fit and say, let's try that. And that's what happened. They were sold uh, what they thought and were told was legitimate pharmaceutical grade Percocet. But what was what instead happened is they were sold a fake pill made of illicit fentanyl. And um, that when was you, when you say they was he also um, did he have a friend who also died from that same? So yes, Bill? Zach them all with his several of his friends. But at the moment that the 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 person came up to Zach, uh, Zach was with one other friend, and they both purchased what they thought was Percocet. His friend took his Percocet and felt no effect. Zach took his Percocet and died. Oh my God. Um, um, on December 26, spending time with his friend, um, they went to the mall and then after he, if I remember correctly, he had dinner with his girlfriend's family. Uh, you know, when, when it's December 25th and the days leading up to December, you know, you don't really spend a whole lot of time with your friends because they're with their family. Yeah. After Christmas, you want to catch up with your friends and see your girlfriend and, and whatnot and be together. And Zach came home on Saturday, December 26th from, uh, from his girlfriend's. He got home about a half hour before curfew. And he uh, texted, hey, I'd like to see a Christmas movie because that was our tradition. Uh, Zach and his siblings and I would watch as many Christmas movies as we could. Uh, just because we like to set new records and uh, we, watched, <laughs> we watched Christmas movie together and uh, Zach came home early, came home sober, did not look, smell, act, anything out of the ordinary, just a responsible kid. I, as a father, my worry with a person who's only, you know, two or three months having a driver's license my worry is him or her getting hurt while driving as a, a new inexperienced driver, especially when it's nighttime. So when, when Zach got home, I felt a sense of relief. He looks normal. He acts normal. He's even home early. Great. Zach survived today as a new driver. But none of us realized there was imminent danger in his possession uh, that was going to kill him. In any case, we watched our movie, and it was just after midnight. We all went to sleep, and Zach's last words to me was, I love you, Dad, as he went upstairs to go to bed. And the next day was Sunday, December 27th, and uh, the day started normal, and eventually Zach's siblings got up and did their normal thing, and then around sometime after lunch, I asked, wait a minute, where's Zach? I know he sleeps in a lot, but it's time to go feed him and and uh, his siblings hadn't seen or heard him so i went upstairs to check on him and 
and I found him appearing to be asleep at his computer desk. He was still in his pajamas. He had his head resting on his arm, on his left arm like that, and his right hand was somewhere near his mouse in front of his computer screen. And at first I thought, oh boy, he stayed up playing Minecraft again because during COVID, <laughs> his soccer buddies play Minecraft till the wee hours as a way to socialize, uh, you know, virtually. And uh, uh, I thought, well, he just slept in. It's time to get up. And as I approached him, uh, I sensed a void that I never experienced before. And I knew something was horribly, horribly wrong. And I tried to touch him and immediately could tell he wasn't breathing. So I uh, had to do something about it. In my 26 year involvement in the military, uh, I've learned a lot about uh, self-aid body care and CPR and it just immediately kicked in. So I gently lowered him on the floor and at the same time alerted Sam, uh, who I knew was nearby on the sofa downstairs and asked him to call 911. At the time, Sam was a senior at UC Davis about to finish his degree and get his commission in the Air Force. And Sam was very gung-ho, you know, uh, wanting to help to serve. And uh, once he realized I was serious, he ran upstairs with the phone and had the uh, 911 operator on speaker. And Sam said, Dad, let me help you out. And uh, let, let me let me get you through this. But when Sam walked in, he the the look of shock I saw on his face, seeing his brother lifeless and his father giving CPR was something that scarred him. And as you can understand, losing a child is is such a the worst experience a parent can have to endure. But in addition to that, when you witness your other children suffer and you can't do anything to help them, it adds a layer of post-trauma stress and um, something that forever will scar you. Yes. So I told Sam, because he was paralyzed, he, he couldn't, didn't know what to do. And then I said, give me your phone or put it down and go get the dogs. Um, Medtechs are going to show up and go tell, get Allie. So Sam, I kind of gave him direction and he went downstairs and did that. And Medtech showed up. I, I lost temporal awareness, but I want to guess anywhere between five to 10 minutes. And uh, about seven gentlemen were in the room, including a, a police officer and they brought in their gear and they started putting sensors all over Zach and started uh, their best. Um, and I want to say it took about 30 minutes. We tried our level best to resuscitate Zach. We didn't know how long he hadn't been breathing. Um, when I laid him down, I thought I saw bubbles come out of his nose and I thought maybe he was trying to breathe. That's why I started CPR. But um, a decision was made that that was too late. And um, 
they decided, they all stood up and said, I'm so sorry. And I got very angry and said, absolutely not. We are not stopping. You must help me save my boy now. And he said, I'm sorry. So I saw the defibrillator and I went to go after it. Um, it was near Zach's head and uh, they pushed it aside and I saw there were EpiPens in a bag to Zach's left side and I tried to dig through that bag and they pulled it away from me. And then I knew that they weren't going to do it and I said, please help me save my boy and he just didn't. And so I started CPR again. I told another guy, call 911 and or call 911 back and help me. And then I started talking to Zach and I begged him, please don't go. Please come back. And he didn't. And at some point, someone gently pulled me away. And I remember getting in the fetal position and I know a lot came out of me, a lot of crying, a lot of yelling, and um, it, it just, I was consumed and overwhelmed with emotion raging through my, my body, and uh, it passed, and at some point I stood myself up, and I see these seven gentlemen surround my ch child, and they were all crying, and they said they were very sorry, and I had to go downstairs to explain to Sam and Ellie and they were at the bottom of the steps and I said, guys, I'm sorry, we lost Zach. And I lost, I lost, lost it again. I've always felt like I was a stand-up dad who was always wanting to be a strong provider, uh, strong in character, strong in my faith, <clears throat> and to help them get through their hard days. And I thought, I have to be strong for my kids, but I lost it. And I guess there's a beauty in this part because they physically held me up. And they uh, were giving me words of strength and were saying, Dad, it's not your fault. We got this. It sucks what's happening, but we will get through this. Zach is still going to be with us forever. And they were saying exactly the things that needed to be said. I truly saw both of my children grow up in front of me, uh, acting like they're mature adults, like they were wise in their ways. And uh, it was the lift I needed. Um, so I, it was obviously an unspeakable tragedy that no parent wants to experience, but uh, I saw resilient strength there. <clears throat> Uh, at the end of the day, what ended up happening is, of course, more uh, officials showed up, uh, sheriff's department showed up, other firemen, and then the coroner showed up. And uh, they examined Zach, his body, and in his room for about two and a half hours. And then they looked around the house for another hour or two. Naturally, if someone uh, dies in the home and first responders get there, they're going to want to talk to people, but they're going to also want to look around and see what really actually happened here. Mm -hmm. uh, Zach's mom, Laura, got there probably about 30 or 45 minutes after we reached out to her and, and 
and we were outside at the time because they had asked us to stay up, stand outside um, uh, so they can look everywhere. And uh, we had to break the tragic news to her. And just like with me, uh, Allie and Sam embraced mom and gave her the strength she needed. And uh, eventually we were called back in the house and the coroner said, well, we're ruling out self-harm. Self it's evident it was a peaceful death. The two questions they asked was, was there a health history or drug use history? And I said no to both. Zach's a very fit athletic kid. Um, and uh, as far as uh, controlled substances or illicit substance, absolutely no experience or no history there. As far as recreational drugs, no experience that we've ever heard of, but we wouldn't be surprised if he was you know, at a park or something, trying something. But to be honest, I've never seen anything. I've inspected his room maybe half a dozen times just that year uh, or the last two years and never saw anything. <clears throat> um, smart kid, so we don't know. And they said, well, we think he died of, the autopsy will show, but we think he died of a, an unknown health issue or fentanyl. And, and that's what really threw us into more confusion is, why would you say fentanyl? Isn't that some kind of pain medicine? And they said, oh, yeah, it's actually uh, the most powerful of all Schedule II opioids. In fact, it's the only Schedule II opioid measured in micrograms. All the rest are milligrams, a thousand magnitude different. So I, I asked, how on earth would that get into our home, yet alone my child's body? And they said, in the last few months in our area, we're starting to see mysterious deaths of young people in particular who appear to have just stopped breathing. But the toxicology came back showing there was fentanyl. Now, usually in those cases, there's evidence in the room or in the possession or nearby. But in Zach's case, there was no evidence. There was no products. There was no drugs. There were no paraphernalia. They said, we know every hiding spot. We know exactly where to look. And we, we looked in his room for two and a half hours at every possible crevice, corner, and hiding spot. And we found no evidence, no products, no drugs. So could be a natural cause that we didn't know a health history. Or if it's fentanyl, it's possibly one of those fake pills. Well, we hadn't heard about that. <clears throat> and they said, well... Their first toxicologies just came in about one to two weeks before Zach died. And they said, this is a brand new thing in our area. We're just trying to figure it out. This looks suspiciously like that. And as we got our toxicology, it showed, it confirmed that Zach died from fentanyl. There was no Percocet in the system. Fentanyl is what killed him. So the entire pill was fentanyl. Right. We understand that the pill that the person who sold to Zach and his friend, the one that Zach received, was a deadly amount of fentanyl in it. And meanwhile, his friends, that pill was not. There, there was a non-lethal amount or no fentanyl. That, no. That's what's so destructive because we're learning, we know now that because these pill mills that come from Mexico over the border, there's no quality control whatsoever. Um, they, exactly. just, they just smack out pills. And the sad part is you don't know what you're getting. You don't know how much is in it. 
and the they look they look just like a Percocet. They look, you know what I'm saying? They look just like a Nazi. Exactly. It's so what 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 uh when we were piecing this together, and by the way, the big break in our case was his girlfriend. Really? Yes, I, I called her mom or dad that night when we learned and they had to break the news to their daughter. She's two years younger than Zach. She's very young. And the next day she wanted to come go to the house because she just wanted to see for her own eyes. Zach wasn't there. And she stayed in his room for four and a half hours. Cuddled in his blankets so she could smell him. And be near him because she desperately missed him. And as a father seeing a young 15, almost 16 year old do that, it, it is just gut wrenching. And uh, no high school kid should have to endure that kind of tragedy, but she didn't know uh, what happened, but she did know his passcode on his phone. Uh, because uh, they shared the same code. So uh, I checked it, and uh, it opened the phone. Uh, the next day, I called the DA's office or law enforcement, and they said, uh, put the phone in airplane mode, turn it off, plug it in, don't touch it, and uh, we're going to have an investigator come out and, um, and uh, uh, look at it. And... Uh, <laughs> This guy showed up, uh, I think it was the next day. We, we have family and friends in that house and strangers uh, come to the house to deliver care packages, blankets, food, flowers. So it was kind of a very, you know, busy home. There's a nope. lot of friends and family visiting. And I witnessed this man walk up wearing uh, a Budweiser truck driver shirt and faded jeans and a beard that was out to here and a baseball cap with a big mullet and did not look like anyone Zach would have known, <laughs> any of his friends or my family or, or, or Laura's family. And uh, his name tag said, Hank. And I said, can I help you? And he said, I'm here to speak to Mr. Didier. And I said, well, that's me. Uh, what can I do for you, Hank? And he said, oh, shoot, <laughs> I'm Patrick. And uh, I, I'm, I apologize for my appearance. I'm actually undercover. I just got off a shift. I was told to come out to talk to you about your son's phone. I'm a lead investigator on a, on a task force for our county, on a counter-narcotics task force. And wow. I said, yes, I heard you were coming out. <clears throat> and so it was a bit of an uh, unexpected uh, appearance on his part. And um, he got into Zach's phone and it took him maybe 90 seconds before he found the dealer and discovered the dealer had just messaged Zach. So he said, we have a live bait, uh, live fish, I should say. And, uh, and they took his phone and we surrendered it to them and they did a sting operation. And that's what led eventually to his arrest. There's a more to that story, but... Uh, uh, had we not 
learn about his passcode from his girlfriend, we would not have, I, I still think we wouldn't be where, where we're at now with, you know, uh, holding that person accountable for what they were selling. I'm going to pause here. Next Sunday, we'll listen in to part two of our conversation with Chris Didier as he continues to tell us the story of how they were able to find the dealer who gave Zach the pill that killed him. I hope you will join us. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. Bless you, and please do subscribe, rate, review, and comment so that others can hear these stories, stories they need to know about fentanyl. Bless you. Mm -hmm.